Okay, some bedtime thoughts here. Fittingly, and I, mean, I think this is just going to come up again and again. You know, I went to bed last night talking on here about uh, artificial intelligence and you know people generating art, generating all kinds of things now. And it's just, it's picking up, like, I feel like in the last six months, it's picked up significant momentum. Maybe I just started noticing these things, but it seems like the last six months, I'm just noticing one thing after the other. But sure enough, you know, this guy created an entire comic book using AI as his artist. So he typed in prompts and he made a 40 page comic book and he, and then he, he wrote a story so he like put text in, like he, he came, you know, AI didn't write the story, but he generated the images he wanted. And cause you can do it in an art style. You know, you can tell the AI like stylistically, like what kind of art you want it to look like. And so this guy probably just put in a ton of work, like gen, cause he probably had to throw out most of the images. So he, he just obviously spent a bunch of time just getting the exact images he wanted. I have no interest in this. You know, like I have zero interest in some guy's comic book that was generated by AI. I would never read that. I would never be impressed by it. I mean, I'm impressed by it in the sense that it's possible that we are at this stage now that something can just create a very visually stunning, fairly consistent 40-page comic book, and you can just put your story into that. But I'm not impressed by it in the sense that it makes me want to read that comic book. And uh, I notice he's getting a lot of negative feedback. And uh, really, you know, people are just, they're really mean. They, they've gotten really, really mean. They're really snide. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I know that these are, t it's typical of comment sections, but I, I pick up on it everywhere. Like, I pick up on a lot of what I would call snideness, a little bit of snideness. And uh, people are, this guy, yeah, you know, I, I don't think that you need to really uh, celebrate it. Like, and the guy's giving it out for free too. He's not selling it. He's, he's giving it out for free. It's, it's like the AI rapper to me. Like the, the AI rapper, uh, you know, it's a publicity stunt. But it's also indicative of a larger pattern that's taking place right now. Otherwise, that wouldn't even be a publicity stunt. And like what this guy's doing is obviously a publicity stunt too. He he was able to generate an entire comic book with AI and write a story for that. And he's he's releasing it for free. I think he I think he's a comic writer or something as it is. So it's like he's he's obviously this is a way to get his name out there. Oh, he, the guy who wrote the the AI comic, you know, it's it's gonna get his name out there or something. But, uh, you know, the number of snide remarks, it's like, sounds neat. Now imagine how good it could be if you, would, if you had just gotten a human artist. Stolen art, thief. Because the thing that's interesting about these AI things is, like, you can tell it you want it to look like an, in the same style as a certain artist, and it might do that. But, this, you know, it's very different than actually, like, stealing that person's art. And, you know, to be honest... I think artists need to be put in their place. I think that's what I'm seeing here. Like the ego of the artist is extremely threatened by this. And, you know, I've gone into this before. It's been it's probably been a while since I went, on, I went on a good artist or musician rant. But in my life, and maybe this is just the circles I've run in. Maybe this is just the people I've known. But it includes friends as well as non-friends. 
It includes people I love as well as people I don't like at all. And I have to say, like, artists to me, musicians in particular, but I'll just say artists have been some of the pettiest, most insecure, competitive, passive-aggressive, dishonest, thieving, and the most crafty at doing those things. In my entire life, I, you know, I've never met an entire like type of person who embodies those things more. And, and not that they're the only people who embody those things, but they pretend that, they, that that's not a part of things. Like it's what I've said before about football and you know playing football growing up and you know getting to know jocks and things like that, having some friends who are like that. What I have to say about them, and, and I'm not some big fan of, of football players or jocks. You know, they're like people. I mean, there's different types of personalities. Like everything. Like when people talk about jocks, like. Do you realize there's like a whole fucking broad array of personalities? Like if you've ever played football or been on a, a sports team, but especially something like football where it's really a guy sport, only guys can play football. Only men can truly play football. And when you're on a football team, yeah, everybody is into football and sports and most people probably would be considered a jock, but it's like... That's an entire like group of friends or group of guys. Like everybody has different personalities. Everybody has different astrology signs. How could how could they all, how could a group of jocks all be the same if they all got different astrology signs? No, but it's it's true. Like it's a whole broad array. Like some people are funny, some people are insecure, some people are assholes. Like you know, most people are. There's a lot of just quiet dudes. Like so that's what I remember about playing football growing up. I was like. Half the team are just kind of quiet dudes who love the sport, and they don't really, they don't really do anything. They don't really have; they're very nondescript, you know. Um, but uh, you know, so I, so like jocks can be a nightmare too. I mean, jocks can be extremely insecure and uh, aggressive and competitive, but it's it's kind of all out there, like in a locker room type environment, like people can be petty and all those things I said about artists like those apply to football players personalities but you kind of know there's they air it out a little more whereas with artists it's it seems to like burn below the surface it festers they're very backbiting they're very gossipy they're very paranoid in my experience artists are very very paranoid like they constantly think that somebody's stealing their idea they constantly think that somebody is going to steal their idea. If somebody does something that's even remotely similar to what they did, they think that person is ripping them off. Like, and the reason for this is because like nothing, you know, I talk about the endless pursuit of jewels on here and nothing is, is more of that than being an artist where you're always trying to create a new jewel that's yours. It's like your signature is on it you're going to put it out there. And so you're, it's not just that you're on an endless pursuit of jewels. You're on, it's an endless pursuit to like create the new jewel. And you're constantly looking at other people's jewels, like thinking like, Oh, like maybe I could take that idea and do that to my jewel or God, I hope, I hope nobody does. I hope nobody does it to my jewel. And there's that kind of mantra that artists have. And I think like some famous person said it once, but it's like art is just stealing or something. You know, there's this idea that it's okay to steal in art. And I've never been cool with that. I've never been cool with that sort of encouragement. They're like, oh, it's just stealing from other people, you know. 
But that's what I mean. Like artists, they're very good at stealing from other people, but like knowing how to do it in such a way that like you look like the asshole if you're upset about it. And I've had people steal things from me and I don't think it's not just my paranoia. Like I've, there've been a couple instances. I'm just an obscure person out there. I'm not some famous artist or anything, but there've been a couple instances where I know that somebody has borrowed from me, like somebody in the general circles I run in and it didn't piss me off. It was just, it was just good to know. Like it's good to see that sometimes. And the way I've always felt about stuff too, it's like, you know, if, if somebody's catching up to you, just work harder. Like if you feel like somebody is capable of ripping you off, you're probably not going far enough. Like the second you notice, if the second you feel like even if somebody's not ripping you off, if they're just doing something similar to what you do and you feel threatened by that and artists feel very threatened. But, uh, you know, if you, if you feel like somebody's like catching up to you or doing something similar, it's like that's just a sign that you should have moved on by now. You should have moved on from that thing that like somebody else is able to do. And that's actually how I feel about AI. Like I'm reading these comments where people like stolen art. Which I don't see really see how it's stolen, because like I, just to finish that thought, even if like that guy wanted this art in that style, so he said like Todd McFarlane, I want you to do this comic book in Todd McFarlane's style. Even if the AI uses his general style of art, it's not going to be scenes that he ever drew. It's probably not going to be exactly like him, and. How many people fucking do that? How many human beings do that? How many human beings just go like, oh, I'm going to try to draw exactly like this guy. And that's how they got good. Or that's, you know, even if they're not good, like how many human beings are just like, oh, I want to play guitar. I'm just going to do what that guy's doing. And through that, you might do something genuinely new and interesting. Like you might be like, oh, I really, I'm super influenced by that guy's guitar tone and style. I'm going to, you know. I'm just going to try to do what he's doing. And then through that, you a new dimension emerges. Well, did you steal from that guy? You know, it's that kind of thing. And I'm no proponent of AI. Like, I wish this stuff didn't exist. Like, I wish these AI app generators, I, as, as anybody should well know, like, I'm a big fan of, like, putting the pause button on technology and everything. I'm not a Luddite. Like, I don't want to go back. Like, I don't want to live a primitive life. I like having things. I like having some amount of technology. I'm just a bigger, I'm a fan of like, maybe not the pause button, because I know we can never do that, but like being very deliberate and conscious of what we're developing at any given time. And in my opinion, like an AI app that can like make anything, you know, I'm kind of like, maybe this shouldn't exist, but because it does and I can't stop that, I'm not going to feel threatened by it. And if we've reached a point where an AI app can generate better art, at a better price than an artist can, well, maybe you deserve to be humble because artists aren't very fucking humble. Even just, even nobodies, even artists who have no success and are just complete nobodies like me should be hu humiliated, humbled. Because I think artists have gotten away with too much for too long. Like, no, I don't want artists to be like killed by the state. I don't want, I don't think artists should be rounded up like in, or censored or anything like that. I'm talking more just kind of uh, put in their place. Like if AI is capable of generating better art than the average artist, maybe you deserve that. 
Maybe you deserve that. Maybe you should, maybe you should uh, push yourself a little further. Maybe you should try to do what a machine can't do. Because you know what? If it turns out an AI app, a machine can do what you do, maybe you've just been a machine copying other people all this time. As someone who doesn't feel like I've ripped anyone off artistically, like, yeah, I've been influenced by people, but as someone who doesn't feel like, like I've always made it a point to not rip somebody off or appropriate somebody else's shit. You know, if nothing else, I can say that I've never done that. That said, though, like the second AI can do what I do, go ahead. I don't feel threatened by that. You know, I, I don't feel threatened by that at all. Uh, I don't feel like it's stolen or even this. Like, let's go with this. Let's say that like somebody used AI to deliberately like make new art in my specific style of art. Because that's what this is. This is what like people are accusing this guy of. Like you're you're using AI to do stuff in a style of art that like somebody else created or something. I don't know how they can prove the specifics of who who he's ripping off because it's not obvious. But if somebody did that with me, like if they typed in Eric Stonefelt art drawing, like but make it a like a an alligator with wings, like you know, waiting outside of a preschool at the bus stop. And they did that in my art style. You know, what am I going to say or do? What am I going to say about that? Am I going to feel threatened? Oh my God, you stole from me. You know, I'm more upset about the human beings who have taken ideas from me. And not acknowledged it. You know, credit is everything, I have to say. Like, getting to know this guy, Michael... Uh, De Leonardo, the mafia guy. Like I don't talk to him all the time, but he, he's, you know, he's, he's kind of been somebody that I've been in touch with, you know, for a while now, a couple of years, and he's helped me with some things. And uh, something that like he's is really big on that he's really big on is like getting credit. Like if he if he tells me something, or he gives any researcher or historian information about the mafia, he really you know wants credit, and not in an egotistical way, but just kind of like. He wants you to say who you heard it from because like he's, he's, and part of it's cause he, he's extremely honest. Like guys who were in that life, they're not always very honest. He's extremely honest. And he, you know, he, he, I think he wants people to know, like they're getting the information from the source, you know, they're getting it from the right person. And it's not hard to credit him because I mean, like that in turn gives you credibility to be able to say that, like, I heard this directly from the mouth of a high-ranking former mafia member. And so it's a win-win. Like, he wants credit because, hey, I said this, I provided this information. You want to give him credit. You know, it's it's that sort of thing. And I've always felt that way, too. Like, I like to be acknowledged. I realized that a long time ago. I realized that a long time ago. I just want, to, I just want acknowledgement. No, but, like, I want my contributions acknowledged. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't even have to have like asked my permission or something, but if 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 you got something from me, just acknowledge it. That's it. Nothing more. No no greater anything. You know you don't owe me anything. You know it's, I think that's a big thing, and I and I've realized that about a lot of people. 
they're not looking for a lot more than acknowledgement. Like there are some really hungry ghosts out there who do want something more. They, they require constant validation and people who require that kind of validation never actually feel validated because they're hungry ghosts. But, uh, you know, I realize most people though, they just want like basic acknowledgement. Like, yeah, some people have like celebrity fantasies. They imagine themselves like holding the guitar center stage or with the microphone or a crowd around them. Like some people do have those kinds of fantasies, but in terms of practical daily life, what most people want is just to be acknowledged. Like if somebody does something, just somebody saying, oh, I noticed you did that. Cool. Oh, I, you know, that thing you said made me think I got that from you. And you don't lose anything. And I mean, that's because I used to think a little differently in this regard. I used to, the reason I talk about all this is because like, I think when I was younger, all those things I was saying about artists, I think I was much more like that when I was younger. And I think I kind of had to be because I really cared about what I was doing. Like I really, truly fucking cared about being creative and pushing myself and doing something that I thought was worth being proud of and that I liked and was interesting to me, whatever it was, who, who knows what it exactly was. But, and because I cared so much though, it's like, I was that much more, uh, like paranoid and threatened. And I sensed that in other people too. And, you know, so much of like creativity and stuff, it's just, it's really just finding people you trust at all. Cause there's a lot of people that you just can't. And when I was younger, though, it's like I wasn't a thief and I was not, uh, that's what I'll say. Like, I, w- I was never a thief. I never took from people. I took influence, but I never took from people. But what I will say is I had a really bad fucking attitude. I was competitive. And I was um, paranoid. <laughs> And it wasn't very fun, but I think it was kind of necessary. Like that's what also what made me like push myself and like really like spend a lot of time drawing and working on this and whatever creative thing I was doing, whether it's good or bad or whatever, it it just, that's what allowed me to invest in it is the fact that I kind of had a chip on my shoulder. And that is something you see in sports. You see it like anytime someone is into something and cares about it, if they're young and they, they kind of feel like they haven't really settled into it yet, there's a really good chance they're going to have all those qualities. Like I always think about Richard Sherman, you know, when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, but how we won the conference game to go to the Super Bowl and like they interviewed Richard Sherman and he was like screaming. He's like, don't you ever talk about me. And they were, they were, the, the girl interviewing him was like, who was talking about you? And he's like, Crabtree. This guy, Michael Crabtree. So like he, he was, and he, he was constantly like boasting. Like it was really fun to have him on your team because he, he had a p- big personality, but he was so insecure. He was so good. He was, you know, the best guy at his position at that time, but he was so insecure about it and so competitive. And he had this whole, this is true for a lot of athletes like Tom Brady they, they have some sort of insecurity. Like they weren't picked as high as they thought they should be in the draft. They, they, didn't, they weren't guaranteed the starting position when they came in the league. They think people kind of overlooked them and then they had to work for it. And that's, a lot of that stuff's true. But like during those initial years, they have a really bad attitude. Like Sherman's attitude was fucking awful. It was fun, but it was awful. 
like when you see Brady sometimes talk about like how he got drafted in what like the fifth or sixth round and how he you know he he only started playing because the other guy was injured and like you can see though that he, he has a chip on his shoulder about that and that chip like allowed him to push himself forward so i think on one hand like you kind of have to think this way for a little bit if you're a creative person or if you're an athlete if you're just doing anything where you want to be good at it or be interesting whatever it is but it does create kind of like a world where that's the currency but in art like what makes what makes like sports different like i said is it's all on the surface like in sports guys talk shit to each other and they literally run straight into each other and tackle each other like you're getting all of that out and so when you have a chip on your shoulder in a football game it's just expected like and you're also exerting so much energy and you, it's it's the whole point of it with art it just kind of festers and you have jealousy jealousy's really big in art I, I don't think I've met a more jealous group of people than musicians. And I don't know where it all comes from either. It's not like I, I want things to be this way. I don't want to feel that way about it. And maybe part of it is just that I've like, I've known so many and I've known great ones, of course, but it's just like on the whole, I don't trust them. Just on the whole, I've learned not to trust them, and I think that that's founded in reality, and I don't want to be around them in many cases. Uh, but uh, I, and I don't know why it is, because I didn't decide that. Like, I would have preferred that's not the case. But artists need to be put in their place, and I mean, AI can do that. I think artists need to be humbled a little bit, because like these responses to this guy's AI comic... Uh, this guy's like, there's more art in my avatar image than that comic. What a great way to steal art. Um, and a lot of people do some really like, not just like, oh, hey, this is kind of questionable. Like, cause you know, I could understand that. Like, cause like I said, I have my own reservations about this. I have my own reservations where I kind of feel like, oh, hey, you know, I don't know that I like the idea of just AI generating anything now. I can't stop it, but I don't like the idea of it. But I'm not going to feel threatened by it. I'm not going to feel personally threatened in any way. I'm certainly not going to be mad at a guy for using this technology that's now available to do this. Like, why would I be mad at a guy? Why would I make, why would I be mean to him? Like these people who are being mean to this guy. A lot of them. And you just, you wonder like how much of that is. I don't even know if all these people are artists, but you know, it's just like this, this snideness, this meanness. That really like that's, it's not the right response to a guy who generates a comic book using AI. Even if it was borrowing styles from other artists, like as if you and your friends don't do that. Oh, you and your artist friends. Oh, you, you all do such unique art. Oh my God. How, how did a group of friends all become so unique and iconoclastic? Like how'd you become so original? Oh my God. It's amazing. It's amazing that you managed to be an original artist. Now, you've probably ripped someone off, probably ripping your friends off. You're probably... How much of what you do is even you, you know, is that kind of feeling. 
what you hate about this AI thing is it's you, but it's better than you. <laughs> that's, that's, what I, that's what I have to say. That's how I would put you in your place. If you're scared of this shit, it's because what this AI is doing is what you do, but it's doing it better than you could ever do. And if that's the case, well, do something different. Do something better than this. I can tell you that there's a lot of people who think like me where like it's not about like AI producing impressive visuals. The reason why you support art is because you believe in the human soul and some people are capable of doing something that says something about them or the world and uh, that makes you, you just, it, it, I don't even, who even knows? I don't think about this stuff. I don't think about this stuff. It's why like somebody can do like basically a children's drawing that makes you go, huh, that, that evokes something, you know, whereas somebody can do something that's very visually impressive. It's very um, technically skilled that makes you feel nothing, that makes you think nothing. You just have no use for it. That's more, that's kind of more it. It's like, do I have a use for this or no use for this? That's kind of how I see creativity and stuff. So it's like as someone who believes in the soul or the spirit and I have, I believe that uh, creativity, you can be a manifestation of that. I'm not going to like turn around and be like, oh, the AI is more technically impressive than a human. So now I just like AI art. No, I'm always going to have an interest in human art for the same reason that I'm, I'm interested in owning books, why I have a preference to own books, or the reason why I like real trees and not fake trees. It doesn't matter how lifelike. They make some really lifelike looking fake trees and plants. I still like real plants more. I still want to go out to the woods and see real plants. I would still rather have like a real plant in my house or something. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean, though, that like I don't feel threatened by that. And as an artist, I don't personally feel threatened by like people stealing from artists or not needing to pay artists or anything anymore. Because like I said, I think artists have needed to be put in their place. I'm looking forward to this happening with music, though, because musicians are the people who really need to be put in their place. At some point, I don't know when it was, because I love music and I wish it didn't feel this way, but at some point... Playing music became unbearable. Like, people being involved in music became something that was cool, and then it became absolutely unbearable. Maybe 2005? And maybe this is just me getting older and more bitter, but what's actually interesting is... I feel way less bitter than I ever did. Like back when I was young, like talking about like when I had a bad attitude about creativity and all that, I was very bitter for no reason. I had no right to be bitter, but I felt very bitter. I feel less bitter about life at 36 than I ever have. Like I, I truly feel less bitter about life right now. And I think there's more reason to feel bitter. Like I see a lot of evidence that, that should and could make me bitter, but I actually feel less bitter about it than I ever have. So when I say this about musicians and artists and stuff, I don't even feel like I'm coming from a place of bitterness. I'm coming from a place of like, oh, that's how things are with them. And uh, it's just kind of like, it just seems like a fact to me. 
but I think like putting them in their place, like AI putting them in their place. I think for, for some reason that kind of develops. So for some reason, like some really bad ways of thinking, some ver- it's kind of a narcissism of vanity. That's where a lot of this stuff comes from, but also mixed with an insecurity. And we've, we've given kind of anybody who picks up a guitar this sort of saint status for pretty much maybe since the 50s or 60s. But then it became something that everybody was into and everybody did. Like being a musician was no longer a special class. It was just kind of something that everybody claimed to be. Anybody could pick up an acoustic guitar and, you know, it's Melkor. We're going back a couple of years, two or three years now. I haven't brought up Melkor in a while. But in the Silmarillion... You know, the creation lore around Middle Earth is that there were these groups of demigods that have some name I can't remember, not the Aesir or something like that, but something like that. And uh, they're all like playing music in harmony, These this group of demigods. They were created by like the god, and now these demigods, like they keep the universe in harmony or whatever they do, whatever they do. By playing music. And then one of them, though, you know, is vain and narcissistic and starts playing his own thing, which is in disharmony from, of course, everybody else. And that's basically the creation of evil. The creation of evil is Melkor. You know, that leads to Sauron, Morgoth, all that stuff. So, but him playing out of harmony because he wants to play his own thing is what creates evil on Middle Earth. And I like that. And I I like that he chose music. (laughs) <laughs> and what's funny about that too is there's a letter from Tolkien that he wrote to somebody around the time the Beatles got big because he hated the Beatles. Tolkien was a very conservative man and he hated the Beatles. And he was talking about how like he lived on a quiet street or something, but like one of his neighbors had started a band in the style of the Beatles. And like who knows if it actually sounded like the Beatles. Like I'm sure Tolkien was just anything any kind of rock music at that point is probably oh, it's the Beatles. But uh, he he was really, you could tell he was really mad about it. He didn't want to hear this band. So I kind of, you know, even though he was into all that song and stuff, like he wrote those really long songs where everybody's singing, like obviously he loved music and I love music, but uh, you could tell also that he, he did use music as like the metaphor for the creation of evil, like these gods playing and then one of them decides to start playing his own thing. And from there, evil, you know, vanity, greed, like all the, the seven deadly sins kind of emerged on Middle Earth from that one musician playing his own thing. It's probably how he felt like when that, when that, quote-unquote Beatles-style band was playing on his street. Probably like, he's thinking like, Melkor. It's Mel- Melkor's come. <laughs> but I don't know. I, mean, you know. I don't know what his real thoughts. I, obviously, he loved music. Like, I love music. But because I love it so much, I feel like I've, I've been exposed to this other side of it or something that is evil. Or, or is just like, I don't know. There's a reptilian side to music. <laughs> And I kind of see it the same way. I don't know. Like I think about my friend, like one of my childhood friends was back in our hometown, like after we moved away and he ran into this guy who's now dead actually. 
but he ran into this guy and like this girl that he knew and the guy happened to have like his acoustic guitar and this guy, he was just a really normal kid, but he like somewhere along the lines, he got into Dave Matthews band and then like Elliot Smith and like just this, he wanted to be a singer songwriter or something. He was younger than we were. Like, I think he was a year younger than we were, but he was just, just this really like normal mainstream kid, shaggy hair, that kind of thing. And he was like, he ran into my friend, like outside of a, a restaurant or a coffee shop or something. He's like, Oh, he started, and he like, they sat down. He was like, do you want, what song do you want to hear? Do you want to hear Elliot Smith? Do you want to hear this? And so it's like, without consent, he's like, I'm going to play my guitar for you. And a lot of people kind of have that mindset. Like a lot of musicians like think they're doing you a favor by making music and not just making it, but like forcing it upon you. A lot of musicians think that like, what they do is doing you some kind of service and some, you know, some music really does do us a service, but not because the person's like telling us it's a service. You know, to me, it's almost like musicians are like, like they're like a waiter who brings you a burger before you even have a chance to order. And it's just like, I brought you this burger and you're like, Oh, yeah, it looks, uh, maybe it's good, but, uh, you know, I haven't even looked at the menu yet. And they're like, oh, well, like, I thought you should eat this burger. Our, our burgers are really good. And you're like, oh, well, like, you know, you got other stuff on the menu. I don't know if I'm in the mood for a burger. I, I Maybe I don't like hamburgers. But it's like, I brought you the burger. Like, that's kind of how I feel with a lot of musicians. Like, come to my show. Listen to my band. Me. You ever heard of me? Hey, have you heard of me? Hey, have you heard of my band? It's called me. It's kind of what it's like. And Melkor is, it's just, it's Melkor working his way in. Every time somebody subjects you to music you don't want to hear, everyone, every time somebody tries to promote something, it's, it's Melkor. And it's okay though. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I can't talk shit about music because I love it. But, I, you know, I think it's, it's through that love that this, this, this very intense dark side comes out. Dark side in me as well. And the defensiveness people have, because what I want to get back to with this, this whole AI thing, the AI comic book, and then the sheer number of people who are really upset by this in a mean way, like not just how I, I ethically disagree, I think there's some questions about generating AI art, but who are mean about it. They're mean. That's what gets me. I'm just like, of course somebody would do that. You know, of course somebody would, would use AI to make something like this. And one of the reasons why I think like artists need to be humbled a little more is like they have operated from that point of view that's like the fact that I'm doing this is a service to you. You need me. Pay me celebrate me and just saying you make music or make art like you expect applause you expect that to be applauded like it's as if you told somebody that you're a plumber by trade and you want them to applaud you for oh dude that's so fucking cool dude good for you dude that's fucking awesome man like can i check out your work sometime 
Or if you're a plumber and you're like, you should applaud that because like I do an essential service that you need and you know, you should come check out my work. Hey, you should come check out like this toilet I fixed. Oh, I'm busy. You know, come on. Like I, we, I, you know, come check out this toilet I fixed. Come use this toilet. If plumbers acted like musicians and artists, like check this out, check this out, check this out, check me out, check me out, check out me. You know, of course, there's a difference. I mean, there's a reason why we're more interested in like somebody's art than we are plumbing or something. But uh, it, it's still like there's a certain mentality. And I mentioned this before, like someone like Joe Rogan, if you ever notice, like when he has a musician on his show, it's unwatchable and unlistenable because he, he treats them like they are magic, even when it's a total idiot who makes crap. You know, <laughs> you're just a t <laughs> you're just a total idiot who makes crap. <laughs> it's like the harshest. <laughs> I'm, I'm accusing all these other people. <laughs> I'm accusing all these other people of being mean, and you know, I'm like, you're just an idiot who makes crap. <laughs> I would stay with you. Like, imagine saying that to somebody you know. Like, the next time somebody's like, oh, hey, like, my band just released, like, a new, uh, our new single, and uh, we're playing a show, and I was thinking maybe you could come watch me. Say, I think you're an idiot who makes crap. Um, but no, like, if you, if you watch, like, Joe Rogan interview a musician, sometimes it's like, he talks to them like a little kid or something like they, people treat musicians like they are otherworldly. And some of them are, I guess, but it's kind of built into where like, you're supposed to talk to even like nobody's that way. Anybody who picks up a guitar, like thinks that they deserve to get treated like a wizard. And that's who these people are. Like what's funny about this is like the people who are upset about an AI generated comic book, stealing art is, I doubt you're going to see like a really successful artist say that or just anybody who's confident in what they do. Like thinking about some of my friends who make art, I don't think they would give a shit about this. I, I don't think they would one way or the other. I, I don't think they would give a shit one way or the other. Like I can't imagine like my buddy Miles who cares about art and makes art. Like I can't imagine him looking at this and being like, they're stealing art. Oh, fuck them, dude. Like, I can't even imagine him being upset. I can't imagine him being excited about it either. But it, I don't think he would feel threatened. I don't think that people who are secure in their art feel threatened by this kind of thing. And uh, that should tell you something. They're like The people who react to this are people who probably... It probably should feel threatened because a machine is probably better at what they do than they are. The machine probably has more life in them. Because I see some of the people who are artists and it's like they do like digital like comic book looking art. You know, it just looks like shitty digitally done comic book art. And it's like, oh, you're doing such great work. Oh, God, you're you're right. You're doing such great work. You do the same generic fucking Wacom tablet digital comic book superhero crap oh you're so good yeah we shouldn't let the machine steal you what are you what are you person you're an idiot who makes crap you're an idiot who makes crap might be harsher in my real voice
Oh yeah, what? Oh, you you want to know what I think? I think you're an idiot who makes crap. <laughs> uh, and and those are the people. Like I don't think you're gonna see. Uh, I don't. I don't even know who a famous artist is today. Well, Todd McFarlane. Like I don't know if he does comic books anymore. I don't, it's probably been like thirty years since he's drawn a comic book. But he's someone who got famous for being a really talented comic artist. He drew Spider Man, and then he did Spawn. I don't think that he's upset by this. Maybe he'd prove me wrong. Like, to me, what this is, it's like Napster or something, too, where, like, Metallica was really threatened by Napster, and now everyone looks back at that as very embarrassing. You're stealing music. And, yeah, like, you understand the... the I know why Metallica was upset, because they were like, people aren't going to... Like, we make our living off this music. It's ours. And people are just getting it for free. And we don't have control over that. And, you know, we stand to, like, lose our livelihood over this. But they were fighting, you know, a, a tidal wave that nobody could fight. Like, there's no way little old Metallica, as big as they were, could stop downloading. There's just no way. Like, I was a teenager at the time. And I'd, I'd gotten into music the old way. But I started to use that stuff a little bit. Like, I, I remember using Napster a couple times. Not a lot. I didn't get, like, super into Napster. Just using it for a few things here or there. I used Soulseek for, for some things. Probably used that a little more than I used Napster. But it was never a big file-sharing guy. It was cool. It was awesome. I think I heard a lot of things that way. But, um, I mean... It, you know, by that time, though, it's like as someone who was like on the ground, like to Metallica, it's like somebody created a program to steal music from us, man. But to a kid on the ground who was getting to experience these emerging technologies myself, I was like, no matter what they do, if they shut Napster down, something else is going to come out. Like there's no stopping this now. Now that this technology exists, there's truly no stopping it. The only thing they can do now is regulate this. The only thing that the music industry can do to stop this or to not suffer from it is if they get involved in it. And that's kind of what they did, although it, it, they never really figured it out, I don't think. I, don't, I feel like the music industry, like, I guess, like, I've never used iTunes. I've never once downloaded anything or I don't even, I don't even know if it's download or what you do on there. If you stream, I don't know what, how you work iTunes exactly, but. I've never, uh, I've never used it, but like, I guess that was kind of their way of, of like getting involved and legitimizing file sharing and that kind of thing. I don't feel like they ever really figured it out because there was such pushback early on. Like they were so stupid about it initially, but anyway, like Metallica wasn't going to stop that, but it wasn't just Metallica. Like there were indie bands and stuff. There were lesser known bands. Like I was talking like a week or two ago about that band CKY and I remember those guys because, like, I was, I would go to those guys' message board and stuff, and uh, they were like, they, the guys themselves were on there, the guys from the band posted on their message board, and they were extremely upset. Like everything, they were Metallica. Everything was anti-file sharing. Everything was like, like you stealing, you stealing our music, man. Like they were, and they were mean about it too. They were like these people. 
like the CKY guys, they were like Metallica and these people in that they they weren't just they didn't they didn't just dislike the ethics of it. They were mean about it. And that's kind of like the difference maker. And like in this in that case though, it's like with file sharing, I actually understand it more because you were literally downloading their music. Like you're you're downloading music that they own and they're trying to sell and it's their, it's completely theirs and there's a there's supposed to be a process for how you obtain that music and you're getting around that and it's still their music though in this case with this ai comic book it's not taking anybody's actual content it's not actually taking somebody else's art even if it's influenced by somebody else's art it's not actually taking anything they made But people are reacting to it in this way that's like, he's stealing. Oh my god, you know. And I see it as file sharing. It's it's kind of the same reaction that people have to file sharing. And the other side of it though is there's these people who reply to this. All I do now is look at comment sections and just narrate. But there's other people who reply to it who are who are more like, this is really cool. What's your process? What prompts do you use? And like, I I don't I'm not into that either. Like, I don't want to hear about, like, what this guy typed into an AI search engine to try to, like, make image new images out of nothing. Like, I don't want to know. This is like, that's like asking somebody, like, you know, what happened when you went to the bathroom? What happened? I noticed that you went to the bathroom earlier. What happened? What'd you do? What'd you do in the bathroom? Like someone who's, who's created a comic book using an AI search engine or an AI gener image generator, asking them how they did it, might as well say, hey, I noticed that when you went in the bathroom earlier, you were in there for like maybe 20 minutes. Uh, were you doing what, what I think you were doing in there? Huh? Huh? It's just like, it's like personal. But, uh... I don't know, like, I mean, mean times. I mean, there's a lot of meanness. The thing is, I could be the meanest person in the world. I used to be pretty mean sometimes. But I sometimes think about how it, it would be so easy right now, especially, just to really put someone in their place in a way that they will never forget. But you can't. You just can't do that to people. You don't want to, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to make yourself the messenger. You know, you don't like, even if you're speaking a truth. Like when I was in high school, I, there was this girl who I hung out with for a little while. And like, I, I found out she liked me and stuff, but I was just so, I, and I liked her, but it was just, I was so young and, uh, you know, not confident that like, I didn't realize until we'd been like hanging out for two months that like, oh, she'd been interested and now she lost interest or something. But anyway, like I remember like she, her introducing me to this friend of hers who was like a volleyball player and I'd never met her. And I had long hair at the time. I had like hair down to my shoulders. And, I, you know, I guess this girl like must have associated that with like being a nerd or something. Because like this girl, like this volleyball girl, this jack girl, like within like two seconds of meeting me, she goes, so what do you do? Play magic cards? 
And I remember I said, what do you do, fuck jocks? Like, you know, and then it was just the silliest thing. And then, like, we hung out, and I ended up getting along with her fine. And, like, we were talking, and then, like, because I was hanging out with two girls, they started getting into this, like, we were at this park, and they started getting into this, like, deep philosophical conversation about, like, why they are the way they are. And I'm just kind of sitting there hanging out. And, like, the, the girl who insult, who was, like, trying to insult me or something said, what do you do, play magic cards? You know, she, she was like, you know, I, I just have this need to, like, put people in their place. She's like, I feel like it's my duty, like, I, like almost like, like a God-given duty to put people in their place. And, and I remember, like, being like, that's very honest of her. And I realized, like, oh, she was trying to do that to me when she met me. Like, she thought that, like, oh, I'm meeting some random dude that my friend is hanging out with. I'm going to cut him down to size, like, just right away. Which is a very insecure thing to do, of course. And at least she, like, kind of picked up on that. But it's it's that sort of thing. Like, some people feel like it's their duty to, like, speak the truth. Like, I should put you in your place. And, and keep in mind, I've been saying that this entire episode. Like, oh, musicians and artists need to be put in their place. Some people do need to be put in their place. But it's, like, it's not my duty to do that to people. I think that's the distinction I want to make is that, like, like that random girl in high school was saying, like, I just feel like it's my duty to put people in their place. Well, the reason we feel that, like, the reason we feel like we should put someone in their place is because some people need to be fucking put in their place, you know? The thing is, who are you to be that person? Like, who are you to be the messenger who does it? Like, if you don't do it, this this necessary duty is never going to get done. Like, oh, no, if you don't put that person in their place, they're never going to get put in their place. Oh, no. You know, it's, it's weird to designate yourself that way. But that said, like, life will put them in their place. Like, if you think somebody needs to be cut down to size, like, there's a really extremely strong chance that something will if they truly deserve that. There's no question. Like, if somebody truly deserves to be cut down to size, something is going to happen that will do that. It shouldn't be you. You know, it, it's not your duty. Who Who's given that duty? Last I checked, God's not assigning that. You know, he's not telling people to do that. I mean, if anything, that's kind of the devil. If you want to go there with it. Like, if, you, if there's a little voice in your head saying, oh, you know what? You were chosen to insult people so that they know the pecking order. Chances are that's the, that's the kind of thing the devil would tell you to do, I would think. That's my guess. But that said, like, I see people and I think, oh, that person needs to be cut down to size. But I got nothing to do with it since, you know, and I, I sometimes think about how easy it would be to be that person when I'm frustrated with somebody or I'm just doing, going about my business and somebody pisses me off, you know, I think like, oh, it'd be so easy to say this. It'd be so easy to say this one thing, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's those, uh, like those ads that are like, you know, grandmothers hate this one trick. Like a lot of people joke about this, but th this shit is funny. Like grandmothers hate this one trick that stops female hair loss. But it, it like it kind of plays into this idea though that it's like there's this um, like your kryptonite or something. It's like Superman's kryptonite. 
like your Achilles heel, like this one thing, like, like this idea that like, there is like a, a sweet spot that if you hit it, that thing destructs like a dunk tank or something, you know, like, but the thing is a lot of people have that, like a lot of people have like a certain button and if you hit it, that's the dunk tank, like that person's going under. And if you pay attention to people, you can kind of figure out what that is. Because like people really telegraph what they're insecure about. Like if somebody, it, it, if somebody like just keeps bringing something up to you, like if they keep saying, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good example of somebody kind of like telegraphing like something they're kind of insecure about. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think harder and I don't want to do that. But chances are like you'll pick up on like somebody, there's like one little thing that kind of keeps coming back. There's one little thing they keep bringing up or focusing on. And chances are like if that's not the red button, it's somewhere close to that. And if you really wanted to hurt them, you could just hit them right there. And I think about an experience that, like I had with a group of friends once years ago, probably like close to a decade ago now. And a friend of mine said some really insulting things to another friend, like tension was high. It, it wasn't like a full blown fight, but they just, there were some criticisms. And I remember talking to that other friend later who went through a whole like series of breakdowns, uh, you know, really great guy, but he went through like a whole series of shit unrelated to that. But I remember like, like him bringing it up and he was like, you know, what our, what our friend said to me still, still haunts. <laughs> He's like, what our friend said to me, like still haunts me. Cause it's like your friends know your weakness better than anybody. Like your friends know that red button, red buttons. They know like how to put you in the dunk tank. You know, familiarity breeds contempt, but it also just familiarizes you with people's weak points, you know? Like even if you don't hate your friends, you know their weak points. And their strong points too, but it's like you know their weak points and if you want to hit them there, you can. And so like being with these friends like that weekend years ago, and like knowing that there a problem came up where somebody made a criticism of the other person and and hearing that that haunted him for years because i think he you know whatever it was i don't even i don't even know what it was to be honest i wasn't involved like i was just there i think i, I took mushrooms that weekend too or something I, I was very uninvolved in what was going on but just just the fact though that like that stayed with them and like people have said things to me too that did that to me but i like it because i'm like i needed to hear that like i needed to be put in my place not by somebody who thinks that's their duty but just naturally like i need something to come up that makes me go oh fuck and i've had that happen myself with things like when i've been very proud of something when i've just been very proud of something I've had things come up that like make me less proud of that. And in retrospect, it's a good thing because like I needed to have, I needed to have my, 
the rug pulled out underneath me. But outside of like life and death situations, you know, that's a lot of what we fear. A lot of what we fear is like somebody pointing out that one thing. I mean, a good example is like if you if you have a physical thing, like if you're balding, if you're balding, like you might go out through life and think like, I hope nobody mentions my bald spot. I hope nobody mentions my bald spot. I hope nobody says anything about my hair. I hope nobody says anything about my hair. You know, it's like people go out with this mantra inside of them and there's like, I hope nobody points out that really obvious thing that's bothering me. Like when I was a fat kid, a fat kid, I thought that way. I, you know, I think I was less insecure about it than some fat kids. And I was still really insecure about it. Like I didn't like being fat. I didn't hate myself or anything, but I kind of knew deep down this wasn't for me. I'm not meant to be fat like this. That was how I felt. Like growing up fat, I was just like, I'm not meant to be fat like this. I don't hate myself for it. I'm just not meant to be this way. But, uh, you know, I, I remember going into situations where like, and thinking like, oh, I hope nobody like says anything. Like if it was something like a pool or um, like, I remember I, I took like a, a, for a very short time, me and two friends took kickboxing classes. Just for a little while, we took these kickboxing classes. It's probably 13 years old. It's cool to do for a second, but I lost interest. And I remember, it was, like, everybody was nice. Like, the instructor was nice and everything, but I was still pretty fat at the time. And I remember, like, every time I would do, like, punches and kicks and stuff, I would pull my shirt down. Like, I, like right afterward, I would pull my shirt down because I didn't want my gut to come out. And I remember like the instructor was like, stop pulling your shirt. Like every time you kick or punch, you like pull your shirt down afterward. And you know, you're doing a bunch of punches and kicks and stuff. So it's like getting in your way. And I, I was like, fuck, he noticed. And I just remember like, it was good. Like I didn't feel like what a dick, dude. Oh my God, what a, what a fucking dick. It was good for me to like, and it wasn't even like, hey, you fat fuck. Hey, you fat little fuck. I noticed you're pulling your shirt down over your big fat nasty gut, you little... You know, it wasn't like he was a jerk about it. He was just saying like, hey, we're, we're, I'm teaching you... What he, what he was saying is like, I'm teaching you kickboxing. You're doing this other... And it's all about like every deliberate movement you're doing. It's about like repetition and teaching you this. And you're doing this unnecessary movement. You're grabbing your shirt. And what an unnecessary thing to have to do. And it's not because I thought anybody would make fun of me if they saw my gut. I just didn't want that to be exposed. I just didn't want people to see it. It wasn't that I thought that like anything bad was going to come of it or anybody was going to be mad at me or something. To me, it's like, it was like, it's like the same reason you don't want somebody to see your ass crack. You know, for whatever reason, like if somebody can see your ass crack, it's embarrassing. And you, and you notice it, which is kind of funny, like how many ass cracks we've all seen in our life. <laughs> kind of funny, like we, we've seen so many goddamn ass cracks, but it's like something you're not supposed to see. And when you see it, you're like, oh, there's an ass crack. Very intimate thing, really. But that's how I kind of I felt about my gut. And I think there is a comparison there, you know, because like a big gut that like hangs out, like it, it kind of is like your ass crack or something. <laughs> 
So that's kind of where I was coming from. To me, it's as if I was wearing like baggy pants, baggy pants, and pulling them up a lot. And it's just, it's like a tick. And that's what kind of what it, what it is. But it's like, I wouldn't be doing that if I wasn't fat. So why am I fat? <laughs> you know, That's kind of how I felt about it. Like nothing is going to make me feel good about my gut. So why don't I just not be fat? I, I figured that out eventually. But when you're, when you're insecure about something like that, like you worry that somebody's going to say something about that exact thing. And, you know, I learned about bald as someone who's balding. I learned about balding, like from my, an old boss I had who was developing a huge bald spot. And you could tell that like when he walked into a room, he was thinking about his bald spot. Every single like photo that got taken, I hope nobody can see my bald spot. You know, he didn't have a comb over or anything, but it was just, he brought it up constantly and one time, there was one time where somebody joked about it, like like there was a photo that had been taken of him, and he was stand like standing with his back to the camera, like pointing at something, and you could see his bald spot really big, and someone was like, "Oh, hey, you can really see your bald spot," and and like you know he had he talked about it so much that like it, you, I could see where somebody might think it's okay to make that joke. and it was friendly enough and everything, but they were like, "Oh, hey, look, you can really see your bald spot," and he goes, "Shut up." But you could hear, you could hear it wasn't okay. It wasn't like shut up, motherfucker. You know, it, it was it was more like visceral. Like you could tell it cut him. Like it was the most obvious thing you could point out. But if you notice, the thing that people are most insecure about is usually the most obvious thing. It's not their deepest darkest secret. It's not that thing that like nobody sees. The thing that people are afraid of having pointed out is usually the most obvious thing. If you're fat, it's that you're fat. The thing everybody knows. You're not going to hide the fact that you're fat. Everybody knows. Like some people, maybe you can hide a little bit of extra weight. But if you're on the fat side of fat, there's no hiding that. Black shirt won't hide it. Yeah, you can wear some clothes that are more flattering. You're not, you're not tricking anybody though. It's kind of like a comb over. Like people always look at a comb over and they're like, you're not tricking anybody, man. We can all tell it's a comb over. And I'll defend comb overs. Maybe guys just want something on top of their head. I think a lot of guys with comb overs, like they know nobody's convinced, but they're like, I just want something on top of my head. Uh, but it, it's kind of like that with fat people where when you're fat, like when I was fat, like sometimes I would think like, oh, this, uh, this, is, a, this is like a slimming outfit. You know, sometimes I'd find something that I felt like was a flattering look, but it's kind of like a comb over where it's like, yeah, even if this is kind of flattering, like it doesn't hide the fact that I'm fat, but it's often that one, the most obvious thing. Like, I hope somebody doesn't make fun of the most obvious thing about me. It's not like, I hope somebody doesn't find out that like I wipe boogers on the wall of my bedroom. It's, I hope they don't notice that thing that you couldn't help but notice the second I walk in a room. And as a result, like when you know people, when you're friends with people and stuff, it's like you know that red button. You know exactly what you could possibly say. And uh, the fact that we don't all do that all the time is wonderful. I mean, it's, it's a miracle that we're not all constantly insulting each other. Because like you can look at somebody and they could be beautiful 
And you could find that one physical feature that they are slightly unhappy with, like their nose. Like the tip of their nose is just a little bit long. It's Maybe it's even attractive and fits them. And they're, they're a knockout. They're a real knockout. But if you really look at their face, there's a little, like the tip of their nose is just a little bit long. And it's a little bit weird if you look at it long enough. They know that. They know that. All you have to do is point it out. Oh, you got a long, you got a big nose. You got a, you got a big old long nose. Like, you ever notice how the tip of your nose is really long? And you ever notice how the tip of your nose is just really long? Like, and that'll eat away at somebody. So you got to be careful. Like, you got to be careful what you joke about with people. You got to be careful like you don't dunk them. That's basically what it is. It's like you're dunking people. Like you, you throw the ball, you hit the target, you dunk them. And some people think it's my job to go around dunking people all the time. Oh, hey, you, you, you deserve to get wet. I'm going to put you in the dunk tank. But the thing is, like, and, and so a lot of what a lot of people do is they dunk themselves first. Like they announce that they make fun of their weight. Like if they're hanging out with a group of people, like just out of, out of nowhere, it's like, oh, hey, we should all get something to eat. And then the, the fat person goes like, yeah, we should go get like five pizzas, four of them for me because I'm a big fat fuck. You know, like they'll volunteer something that's like acknowledges it. And that's that's healthy in, in some ways. But one of the reasons people do that too, though, is to be like, oh, I'm going to make fun of myself first. Like, it's classic. I'm going to make fun of myself first to prove that I'm, to acknowledge the elephant in the room and to show that, like, you can't make fun of it because I'm making fun of it myself. When I was a, a, a TA for the gym teacher in junior high, there was this time that, like, it was a group of, like, younger kids. Like I was like an eighth or ninth grader and there were a bunch of seventh graders or something. Like I was, I was the teacher's assistant. All, I did nothing. I just like hung out in the gym room and stuff. But, uh, there's a time like in the locker room, there's this kid, he was a funny, nice kid. He was at the urinal and another kid bumped him on purpose as a joke. And he did get pissed all over his pants, pissed all down in the front of his pants. And he was worried about going into class because he had piss all over his pants and word got around like inside of the gym the gymnasium all the kids knew like a boy told another boy and then that spread and so by then everybody knew that little old Devin had piss all over his pants and he was really and I, so I, I hung out with him in the locker room and he was like I don't want to go in there you know, like we talked it out. I I, be, I was like his counselor for ten minutes, and he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna go in. He's like, I'm just gonna go to class. I'm, I'm gonna go to the gym. And I went in there with him, and he opens the door to the gym, and he he just yells, "Hey, everybody! 
I just pissed my pants. It was like what the movie, uh, like it, it was like Billy Madison or something when like the kid pisses his pants. So like Adam Sandler pisses his pants and everybody does. It was almost like that or something. But like the first thing he does, is he just walks in and he goes, hey, everybody like he yells. I just pissed my pants. And there was nothing they could do. Like they laughed. And that was it. Like it was over. Like if he hadn't done that. It probably would have like circulated through the school the entire day and people would be making fun of him forever. But because he went in and acknowledged that thing that he, like, he got piss up and down his pants, he just totally stopped that from happening. Like people giggled maybe, like some girls giggled, but everybody was like, whoa, that took balls. And he didn't tell me he was going to do that. Like I was hanging out with him in the locker room just, and he was, you could tell he was really anxious. Like I'm going to go in there with piss on my pants. Piss popcorn on my pants i'm gonna go in there smelling like popcorn i'm gonna go in there they're gonna think that i just got out of the popcorn theater <laughs> it'll come up again the popcorn theater is gonna come up again but he stopped from happening and then the pe teacher he called him to the side and i was there i was with him and he goes devin he's like i respect what you did but I can't have you coming in and like saying things like that. He's like, but I, I really, I respect what you did and I understand. But just in the future, like, don't come in and yell like you pissed your pants. You know, it, it was, it was a, actually a really cool and interesting experience at a young age to see that, like that this kid went from like being extremely anxious to just owning it. And then the PE teacher had to say something because a kid just walked into the room and screamed, I pissed my pants. So he had to like let him know, maybe don't say things like that, but also to be like, I respect what you did. Just an interesting exchange between men right there. <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to wrap this up. I don't, I don't know. Uh, AI, people upset at the artist, needing to be put in their place. Put yourself in your own, you know, put yourself in, in, uh, in the place you need to be put in sometimes too. But what I would say is like when life puts you in your place, like let it sometimes. If you think AI is challenging real working artists, maybe you need to be challenged. Maybe you, we've been stagnating for far too long. You know, people have been getting away with murder, in my opinion. Creative people have been getting away with murder for the last who knows how long forever probably but especially for the past like 15 17 years creative people have been getting away with murder it's about time that something happens that tells them like learn to code and people were joking about that learn to code we could say that to artists learn to code oh you don't like the ai is able to generate better art than you do faster learn to code or do art for another reason tap into something else tap into some tap into some sort of creative force that will make you feel no threat from emerging technology try that you know you have no business feeling threatened by technology unless you are doing what a machine is capable of doing better in which case maybe you do need to get shaken up Maybe you need, do need to be humbled. And if there's one group of people that the world doesn't owe anything to, it's artists. It's nice when artists are rewarded for good work. 
but I don't think the the world owes artists anything. And that seems to be a big fundamental difference. Like as an artist myself, as an artist myself, that seems to be a big fundamental difference between the way some of us view things. I don't feel like the world owes me anything for being an artist. Even even though I care about what I do, I'm on kind of a hiatus from everything creative at the moment. But uh, even though I care about what I do, I don't feel like I'm owed something for that. And if I get something beyond that, like whatever it is, great. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy with that. But I don't feel like I'm owed anything just for doing it. And when I see people react to AI this way, I was like, you feel like you feel entitled to something. You feel like as an artist that you're guaranteed like a piece of some pie. Yet you that piece is so, um, you know, it's like that thing you expect, though, it's like it's on such shaky ground that a machine can just take it from you without even trying. Well, that should maybe tell you something about what you're doing. Like that, that should just tell you something, period. So I don't know. I think we'll see more and more of this. But what's interesting is it's like, I think there are people like me who don't like this and don't encourage it. Like I don't encourage this new emergence of AI taking everything over. I'm opposed to it in principle. But in practice, it's not something I'm going to be upset about. I'm going to keep that principle and say, hey, I don't like the idea that this even exists because I don't like a lot of the technology that exists. I think we have entered a period of technological chaos where we're no longer creating just useful things. Because you think about new technology, oh, here's a dishwasher. Oh, hey, this makes complete sense. Well, there might be something zen about washing your dishes by hand. It makes complete sense why you'd embrace a dishwasher. This saves me a lot of time. Saves me a lot of energy. Oh, it makes sense why an electric tea kettle makes it a lot easier to heat up, you know, to heat things up, whatever, keep them heated. You know, some of these emerging technologies, like they make complete practical sense. But we've, we've reached a point relatively recently. I don't know if it's the last 20 or 30 years it's ramped up, but we've reached a point where a lot of our technology isn't practical anymore. And it's technology within technology too. Like there's computer technology, but now there's programs within computers. You know, there's programs within programs, basically. There's worlds within worlds within this technology that we're using, which makes it that much crazier. And it's gotten very chaotic. And not all of it has an obvious use. Like AI, for example, while we can see what people are using it for, it doesn't have an obvious use. It's not a tractor. It's not a, uh, you know, it's not a chainsaw. It's not an automobile. The use is a little less practical, but as people start using it for practical purposes, it brings out this emotional response. And part of the debate over that in particular is that art, oh, what about the artists? Oh, the artists aren't going to make any money. Oh, this is stealing from the artists. 
But we've seen where like other industries have been put in their place. We've seen where other identities have been cut down to size. We've seen where like factory workers, not that I see artists as just like a profession or something, but still we've seen where all of these different professions and identities and types of people have been devastated by changes. And artists have kind of gotten by easy where they're still treated like they're these priests, like this upper priest class of our society, where like, oh my God, it's magic that you make music. Oh my God. And we can see where like digital technology, there's people, oh, I don't like, like in death metal, for example, like there was a debate when I was getting into it over triggered drums. Like there were people who were like, oh, these guys play triggered drums and it, it didn't sound as good. Like tappy or like like uh, just this like digital, this artificial sounding drum sound when they use triggered drums because it was easier. It's easier to play really fast and stuff if you have triggered drums. So you'd see guys say like triggered versus not triggered and all that. And that was a debate. Like there was an emerging debate in music and, and stuff and art for them. They're like visual art over digital versus hand-drawn. And to me, like... I still don't really like digital art. I still don't like much digital art at all. Not that it's not impressive in its own way. Not that it doesn't take skill and talent. It just makes me feel nothing even now. And I'll always prefer handmade art. It's just how I am. I just, I will never see digital art as the same thing. Music too, like music that's too easily made digitally. Like, I've been joking now for years that, like, all somebody has to do to be a musician is, like, download a Beats app on their phone. Like, I remember going over to a drug dealer's house, God, like, 10, 12 years ago, and his girlfriend had just downloaded, like, some, like, beat program. And it, it wasn't, like, Fruity Loops. I don't even know what it was. It was really simple, though, and it's, like, you could just generate, like, a beat with music and stuff, and it was so easy but we've been at the point now where like to be a SoundCloud rapper or something like you literally download an app that just like generates beats and you can pretty much just record. You probably just talk into your phone at this point and make a song. So it, it, we've, we've started to make music, you know, in the, this digital realm and it's gotten easier, but something is missing in the same way that like something is missing from digital recordings. Like when something is recorded digitally, it might not be that bad. I'm not opposed to it or anything, but I think everybody can agree. Not everybody, but I think a lot of people can agree that like it would be preferable if it was analog. We understand that's harder and harder to do, but it'd be preferable if it was analog. And so the, the music and creativity has kind of had to deal with the emergence of like the digital medium and the fact that you can do these things digitally and it's missing something, I think a lot of people would agree. A lot of people don't really give a shit one way or another. It's the same thing with like CGI, Pixar animation replacing classic Disney animation. Something's missing in my opinion. Some people don't really care. Some people are being molded by this world. Like kids who are raised in this world, they might not think anything of it. Like there might have been somebody a million years ago who, who thought like, oh hey, like, I don't like that you're carving images into that rock. We used to just like carve, we used to just like draw images in the dirt. 
Now you're drawing on that rock. You're like etching into that rock. Like, I don't like that. That might be me today being like, I don't like digital art. I don't like it when you put it in the rock. I just, I like to draw it in the dirt. You know, who knows? I know that my mind hasn't been changed, but somebody who's molded by this world might just see digital art and think nothing of it. It's just art. I don't know. I need to interview a kid. What I need to do is I need to have like a really in-depth interview with a kid. I want to get a kid's POV. But so, you know, so anyway, though, like creativity has been dealing with like the, the impact of digitalia for a while. But now it's being faced with what some other industries have faced, which is being replaced. We've seen where AI and automation and machines have replaced many things. They're trying to replace waiters. You know, the self-checkout at the grocery store is super common now. There's more self-checkout stations than there are, you know, cashiers at any given time. A lot of things are automated. A lot of things are robotic. A lot of things are AI. And it has resulted in people losing their identities, not just work, but losing their identities. It's changed things. And now we get to see what artists do when they're faced with the same sort of replacement. And they're probably not going to like it. But the idea is like, in order to be worried about this, in order to feel threatened by this, you have to think that you can be replaced at all. And I can tell you that a lot of the people I know and speaking for myself, aren't too worried about being replaced. Because if you can replace me, I probably deserve to be replaced. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.